All right, let's, is it off? Sorry. Let's turn our Bibles to Job chapter 3 again, please. Job chapter 3. And if we could just make it so it's not too hot in here, because then Jane gets really upset when it's too hot. She does not like the heat. Uh, but then everyone falls asleep. So the, the, the challenge is to make Jane and me both happy. <laughs> That's an impossible task, isn't it, Jane? All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Job chapter 3. Job chapter 3. I want to begin kind of a caveat, I guess you could say. There are so many different philosophies out there. And, um, you know, uh, when when I became a pastor, and I remember Spurgeon speaking on this, You know, at first, um, you get criticized severely. uh, And I forget how he worded it very eloquently, that 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 kind of takes a lot of us back. But remember, the Bible says in James chapter 3, be not many teachers, masters is an old English word for teacher, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Uh, And it is not wrong that preachers be put under scrutiny, major scrutiny, Uh, And some people can't handle, you know, they say if you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. And some people need to leave the ministry because of that. Because you need to be put under scrutiny. And and so anyone that's worth their weight and salt or whatever, whatever the saying is, you know, they have to be ready to be criticized. And sometimes that criticism is founded. Sometimes it's unfounded. And sometimes it's because of different beliefs and perspectives. And... um, so I want to address, because what I'm going to preach this morning is, is what I often do on Sunday mornings, and I preach topical messages. Let me explain the difference. There's, a, there's topical messages, and then there's expository messages. Now, a purely expository message will take a text or a book of the Scriptures and just work through that verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's what Charlie's been doing in the Bible study at, uh, on 1 Corinthians that's what I've been doing in the evening on Jeremiah. It's been expository preaching. And there's some people that believe that's the only kind of preaching you should do. Uh, but as you know, I will often do topical messages. Uh, and, so, and I understand the danger. I want to read to you. There's a, a quote from a book by a pastor from Los Angeles uh, who wrote this book called Preaching to a Dying Nation. It came out in 1999. And I totally agree with this guy. So this is my defense of... Here comes pastor, he's going to preach another topical message. Uh, and, I, and I do that. Uh, I've been criticized for everything I've ever done, and that's good, because some stuff I deserve criticism. Uh, other stuff, it's my criticizers that are wrong. But it's, it's a good kind of thing. So listen to what um, Dr. Uh, Robert L. Heimer said. He said, I heard it again not long ago at a preacher's meeting. Expository preaching is the answer to our problems. He said, you hear that constantly today. It's in the air, everywhere. He says, I never hear anyone of stature talk about preaching without saying that expository, verse-by-verse preaching is what we need. It is the conventional belief of the majority in this age. So, who disagrees? I do. And then, he, uh, and then just to give you kind of a caveat there here, he says, don't get me wrong. I do not doubt for one minute that the Bible needs to be taught verse-by-verse. Of course It should be taught that way. But where and when should this method be employed? So here's here's where topical messages can be dangerous. 
and we talked about this within the last couple of weeks in our Bible study, Sunday school, adult Sunday school, is sometimes people will use proof texts and they'll quote a scripture and then they'll go off on some tangent and talk about everything under the sun and then they'll go back to that, that scripture and then that passes for a, a Bible message. True, there, are, there is something called a topical expository messages where you pick a topic instead of just going verse by verse through a book. You pick a topic and then you look at certain scriptures and expound them. It always needs to be the Bible that is our teacher. And so, you know, hopefully all my messages, my goal is to expound the scriptures. But I am convinced, I agree with Dr. Heimers, that there's topical messages especially depending on where the church is at, the people you're preaching to, are very important. And what I will often do, then another thing that I heard, a, a pastor friend of mine years ago, man I love dearly, he said, he, he talked about the danger of um, not preaching just expositorily. And he said, <clears throat> he said you know, when, when you don't preach expositorily, you, you have an agenda. Like he talked really bad about preachers that have an agenda. And I will never forget that. I still have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> because when I'm, I'm preaching, it's like, you know, there's always, there's always things I want to say. And I always have an agenda. You know, and now, I understand what he means by that. Like, hope you, don't, you, you shouldn't have a hidden agenda. Um, you should never preach. Uh, I remember uh, one of our dear men was sharing about a church that he left at. Or he left that this pastor was there for many years. And he had a real problem with someone in the church. And so the very last sermon he preached was basically to that one person he had a problem with. I think he might have even named him, my name, uh, named him by name. I have a problem with that. But I want to tell you the way I preach, as you, you know, is I always, or often I'll share in messages what God's dealing with me about through various scriptures based on what's going on in my life. Now thankfully many of you have been very gracious and, um, and and I'll tell people jokingly, not not jokingly, I was preaching to myself first because some people will be like, wow, Pastor, that was right for me. And that's my goal. But I'm really preaching to myself so many times. Last two weeks, I preached on immortality. No, just last Sunday, it was morning and evening. Immortality. And uh, that's because of everything that's going on in my life. Uh, I am just, I've been bombarded with the fact that we are mortal that we are sub- subject to die. Uh, it's like death is everywhere. And my message today, it might be a two-parter next Sunday morning, but my message today is on fear's impact. And there's a verse that's been floating around in my brain uh, for, for years. And it's this text here in, in Job chapter 3. So we're going we're gonna to expound Job chapter 3 in this text. But it's going to be topical because... We're going to talk about what God's been dealing with me about. And uh, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you. But um, So the title of the message is Fear's Impact. And by that I mean Fear's Negative Impact. Now, I have preached messages on fear. Fear has a positive side. Right? The fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, And there's so many verses that are benefits of when we fear God. My favorite is, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. What's the place of refuge? 
in the fear of God. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. Now that's a great verse to put fear in the balance, because there's a good kind of fear and a bad kind of fear. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28? Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but fear him which will destroy both soul and body in hell. Two kinds of fears. Another one, I love going to uh, Exodus 20 and verse 20. Remember uh, Moses just came down from the mountain. The mountain was shaking. He just God revealed his commandments. There was smoke and people were scared to death. And when Moses came down, in Exodus 20 and verse 20, he said, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, to test them. So he says, first he says, fear not. Then he says in the same verse, God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces. Does the Bible contradict? Wait a minute. Moses is saying, don't fear. And then he's saying, fear. There's different kinds of fear. Now, today, I'm going to be dealing with the negative kind of fear because that's what I've been dealing with. And this phrase, here's, so here's, let's get the context. Let's go to Job chapter 3. Let's just jump right in here. And this may take us into next week and maybe even the next week. But I want to share with you uh, how this verse has been coming to my mind continually. You all know that Job, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything went wrong. Almost everything. Now, God did have a hedge of protection around him, and God only gave Satan a certain amount of liberty. But folks, Job had a very horrible, terrible, bad, horrific day. You know, he lost everything. Lost his family, lost his health, lost his possessions. And it was just him and his wife, and, and he was devastated. In fact, it's amazing how many people, when you think of Job, what do you think of? You think of suffering. Uh, anytime somebody suffers, and there's going to be a Bible character that they want to relate to, Job's the man, isn't he? I mean, we, we relate to Job. Everything. In fact, just real quickly, go to Job chapter 1 in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And look at this great comment. This starts out by saying, what a guy. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed, eschewed or shunned or abstained from evil. And by the way, that does not mean Job was sinlessly perfect. But he walked with God. And by the way, just that is amazing. Uh, in fact, some people would be led to say this. See this? Job did not sin. Well, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And God said that even after David did some very bad things. But Job was a man of God. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also enlists. He had all kinds of possessions. This man was rich in material possessions. And then in verse 6 is when the tragedy starts. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also. And so Satan goes to God, and he's, he's, going, he's running. He says, I'm running to and fro. And, and God says, hey, let me direct your attention to a man named Job. Those are the kind of conversations you wish that God would just not mention your name. You know? But God knows what he's doing. And God knew all along that Job was going to be a very special human being. Because he knew. He knew Job's faith. He knew that Job's faith could be severely tested. And he would be true. 
and that happens. So God basically gives Satan the opportunity to go ahead and have at it to a certain degree. So now we pick up in verse 13, Job 1.13. There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them, and they took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. First bad news is his oxen, his servants were brutally killed. And then one thing after another, we won't go into all this, many of you are very familiar, just one thing after another happened until verse 18. While he was yet speaking, so it's like the third, you know, just bad news after bad news. Basically, he now no, he no longer has any animals, any livestock. He no longer has the facilities. He's, he's now destitute, materially. Verse 18, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped to tell, to tell thee. Then Job rose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. So he lost everything up to this point except for his health. That's coming in chapter 2. But I want you to look at Job's response. And and believe me, I, I am sure that Job would have willingly allowed all his possessions to be destroyed. Uh, His servants probably was a different thing, but then his own children had to be devastating. This is what's so amazing in verse 21. Well, verse 20, by the way, in case you think Job was like living in a different reality and was not affected by it, you, you read verse 20. He was in grief. He was devastated. Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And now look at verse 21. And he said, Naked came out out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. There is a man who understood what Paul said in Corinthians. What dost thou have that thou dost not receive? What do you have that you didn't receive? Now, if you received it, why do you glory as if you didn't receive it? Job understood, everything I have belongs to God. And so when, when God took everything away, it's not that it didn't mean anything to him. He was devastated. But he understood. He understood where he got the good stuff from God. And it says in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Now we're going to look tonight, if you're able to come back, love for you to come back. We need a few more people. I guarantee you there will be a seat, a space open for you here tonight, okay? Guaranteed. Now it'd be neat if everybody heard that and said, let's prove Pastor wrong and let's pack this place out. But I doubt that's going to happen. Anyway, tonight we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 2. And um, the fact that Jeremiah, or excuse me, the people of Israel, specifically Judah, brought an accusation against God. Now, in the King James, it says, why do you plead with me? Something like that. But the term that was used is actually, it was a a law term that the people of Israel, the Jews, were charging God. They were accusing. They were legally, just like they were filing a lawsuit against God. 
And, and this is what Job did not do. He did not charge God foolishly. He said, you know, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he meant that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Satan's mission wasn't done. Satan's goal was to have Job curse God. Not bless him like he did here. By the way, I want you to keep that in mind. Everything going on in your life, my life, is because Satan, all the difficult things, all the negative things, are because God wants, or Satan wants you to curse God. And, and it's a very real possibility to become disillusioned, to become bitter, to blame God, to think that, you know, why would God take this away from me? Job did not do that. Now let's go to chapter... And then in chapter 2 is when he loses his health. He lived, but he, he lost his health. And then begins the interlude between Job and his friends. And they come and they're hanging out with him. And all the way up to the end of the book, towards the last couple chapters, they're wrestling with the deeper issues of life. Job is one of the, the Hebrew scriptures called the wisdom literature. And it is, it is Job, you know, wrestling with the deep thoughts of God and trying to find out how, you know, figure out how would, how would a good God allow this to happen? And they plumb, even his friends come along and, you know, they're, they're like way off base. But they also give their advice as they wrestle with, how could God allow this? Now they thought they knew. Job, come clean. Job, <laughs> You got sin in your life, man. You got to get right with the Lord. That's what their attitude was. Because you reap what you sow. They didn't have that verse then, but that's basically they were what they were telling Job. Come on, Job. Nobody's perfect, you know. And God is good. They believed God was good, and so you must have done something wrong. And he steadfastly maintained his integrity. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this devastation, Job reveals something. And, and he is down. He is down. Now, when it's all said and done, he still does not charge God foolishly. He, he questions. He wonders. He, he's like, I want an audience with God. I want, I want to know God. But when it's all said and done, and God speaks finally, it's not Job he rebukes. I mean, he puts Job in his place. But you remember that? Remember that at the end? He says, where... Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he goes on with all his questions. Then he turns to Job's friends and says, you have not spoken of me accurately, and this paraphrase, you've not spoken about me accurately like Job did. So in the midst of all this, Job, Job didn't question God's goodness, but he did question, why is this happening to me? And he picks up in Job chapter 3 and verse 20, and he, he is down. He is at the emotional low point that man has ever been. He says, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery? That's him. He's in misery. That's, he's the one. And life unto the bitter in soul. Job had just, uh, just drunk deeply from the cup of bitterness. Uh, he had just tasted horrible, horrible experiences. Just losing one child to me would be devastating. I shared at prayer meeting, I think. We've been praying for the King family. And I'd ask you to pray for uh, Bill King, 
There's, there's uh, Bill Jr. is actually the, 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 the big guy, the dad. He's in the hospital recovering and rehab. His son, Bill, just lost his son, Billy, which is, was Billy the Third, in a, in a car accident. And uh, Billy, I've mentioned this before, just to give context, uh, was my scout leader, Boy Scout leader. So when I first got saved, I found out the King family embraced the gospel. It thrilled my soul. But Billy's always been special to me, and I haven't seen him in decades. And I saw him this week, and, and he shared with me, he said, because his brother had died in a head-on car accident years ago. And Billy said to me, he said, I, I've known what it's like to lose a brother but I never knew what it was like to lose a son. And he said, and now I know what my parents went through when they lost Jimmy, his brother. What an amazing thing. Here's a man in a devastated situation, and he's able to say, he's now relating. It's not all about, he wasn't just, look how this affects me. He's, he's experiencing bitter, the bitter pill that Job did. He's experiencing that. But now he's able to look and see what his parents went through when, when they lost their son. What an amazing thing. And I thought, I thought one step further and I thought, wow. So I've never had that. So I can't imagine what, what, when the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I can't understand the depths of that. Billy can. And Mr. Kirk can and others can who've lost children. Man, God must love us so much. So here Job swallowing a bitter bitter pill and he's relating that. Verse 21. Remember he's talking about himself. Which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than for hid treasures, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. He, he was devastated. He was at the lowest of low. From my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. Now look at verse 25. This is a verse that has come to me, not just for myself, but I'm, I'm so mindful of this, and there's something to it. He said, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. So Job is sharing. It'd be like saying, this is my worst nightmare. But it was a thought that popped in my mind before. The thing which I had greatly feared. Now let's go back. In fact, go, go to Job chapter, um, Job chapter 1. And look at verse 5. Job chapter 1 and verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So now remember the worship of God was different in this time. And we are now post-cross and all the sacrifices done on Calvary. Amen. But back then, they had to offer sacrifices. And Job offered sacrifices on behalf of his children. Loved his children. And, and here's the reason. The, the last sentence in verse 5. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. 
So Job, as a you know ambassador, as a representative of his kids, constantly burdened for their spiritual lives, he would offer sacrifices for himself and then for his kids, because he didn't you know just to be safe. What if something happened to them? And again, praise God, folks, that Jesus has died on the cross, and the only sacrifice now is what was already done, the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But you get this idea that Job was conscious of perhaps impending doom, that just perhaps uh, something would happen to his kids or spiritually. I mean, that was his heart. That's the heart of a parent, isn't it? I mean, this, this wasn't a, you know, a disattached father this was not a, you know, an absentee dad that wasn't involved in the kids' lives. He was not only involved in their lives, but he was rep, you know, going to the Lord and offering sacrifices continually. He was being a spiritual representative for them. And now we find, he says in verse 25 of chapter 3, the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. That which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety Neither had I rest, neither was I quiet. He's talking about, I believe he's talking about before all this calamity happened. And yet trouble came. In other words, he was aware. Let me share with you, there's a verse, two verses actually in Proverbs. It's repeated twice. In Proverbs it says this. Because anticipating evil can be a good thing. Listen to what Proverbs says twice. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. What does that mean? The prudent man, the wise man, foresees the evil. He anticipates things that could go wrong. And he hides himself. In other words, he he makes whatever changes, whatever is necessary for anticipated evil. Now contrast that with the fool who just passes on, he just blindly plunges into life. He doesn't think ahead at all to consequences. And there's a lot of people like that. And they have to go through experiencing consequences over and over again for God to get their attention, right? Uh, actions have consequences. The simple pass on. They just plunge head on. They just keep sowing the wrong kind of seed and they're not even, and then it comes back on them. They're punished. Now Job would be a prudent man. He foresaw the evil. He anticipated what could go wrong. And in fact, we saw it. What if one of my kids have, have cursed you in their heart? I want to offer sacrifices on their behalf. He anticipated that. But I submit to you, there is a somewhere where that crosses the line. And it becomes fear uh, in, in the negative way. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fear's impact. And I haven't even gotten to the first point yet. <laughs> so much for, you know, I was laying out so much about my uh, topical message. So, you know, if anybody, if you ever get upset that I'm not preaching only book through book in Scripture, go back to the beginning of this message and then I wouldn't have wasted my time. Um, but we'll pick up with this next week and, and even more than that. But let me give you my outline, okay? And then we'll just do one point. I think I have 15 minutes, don't I? Yes, I do. We're not done at 1030 or 1130. All right, here's what we're going to look at. Uh, the, the title is Fear's Impact, and the idea is Fear's Negative Impact. And number one, it's the anxiety. 
Number two, and this is where we're looking at this text here in Job. Number two, it's the torment. You ever heard of Murphy's Law? You know where people came up with that? It's what we're talking about. And then thirdly, the discouragement. But first, let's jump in. And we are. We're looking at this text here. Um, and I want to read to you. Commentators, we talked about commentators during our Bible study, and, and, and they are quite amazing. Because first of all, well-read people, a lot of the commentators have read uh, historically uh, how has the early church interpreted these different verses. And sometimes they'll bring in things that, uh, you know, we never would have thought of. Um, And by the way, there is no new thing under the sun. Harry Ironside said, if it's new, then it's not true. And if it's true, then it's not new. And so it's good for us to... Study, as Spurgeon would say, the works of the divines, the old godly uh, commentators. And uh, this commentator, uh, I, got, I forgot his first name, it's just Benson Commentary. Um, he expounds, and by the way, there's some commentators that take a different take on verse 25 here. Some of them say that, um, that this, this fear that Job had uh, was a new fear. That came upon him, and, and they have some, you know, they have some verses in this context that are possibilities. But this one commentator eloquently says the way I've always understood this this passage, and so he's commenting on this one phrase, and I'm going to read to you a long sentence that he says, where it's almost like, wait a minute, are you getting in the mind of Job? <laughs> you know, like it's almost like he's articulating what Job might have thought. And it's based on this phrase, the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And here's what he says. So imagine this is like Job expounding this statement. The thing that I feared, uh, greatly feared has come upon me. He said, before this flood of misery was poured upon me, I was indeed under great and strong apprehensions, which I could not account for, or something or other that would happen to me, something extremely grievous and afflicting, something as bad, nay, worse than death itself. For I considered the variety of God's providences, the changeableness of this vain world, the infirmities and contingencies to which human nature is liable in the present life, God's justice and the sinfulness of all mankind. And it is now evident that these fears of mine were not in vain, for they are justified by my present calamities. I may therefore say that I have never enjoyed any sound tranquility since I was born, and of consequence, it hath not been worth my while to live since all my days have been evil and full of trouble and distress, either by the fear of miseries or by the suffering of them. I I read that and I'm like, wow, Job said all that? No, Job did not say all that. (laughs) He's he's using, um, you know, what you call maybe a hypothetical explanation. But Job, in that simple statement, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me and that which I was afraid of has come unto me, is maybe just simply Job understood that under the sun all is vanity. Because that's what Solomon came to the conclusion of. That there is no good thing under the sun, that man at his best state is altogether vanity, that because of the curse... um, you know, we, we can expect bad things to happen. And so this verse has been ringing in my mind with all that's been happening in our family and things that have happened in our church over, over the years. 
Um, the thing which we fear has greatly come upon me. Now there's a danger there. There's a danger that... You ever hear someone say, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop? Right? That's the saying. What's that mean? Well, it's like things have gone bad and now you're just waiting for the, the next thing to go wrong. Or here's another one. And this is not in the Bible. Don't forget this. It always comes in threes. Do you ever hear that? You know, when a tragedy comes? Well, I just assure you, there's no scripture that says, and if you find one, let me know. It always comes in threes. Because at least then, after the third one, you're like, whoa, we're done that one for now. But folks, the bottom line is, you know, in a sense, life is waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was with Job. If all you're doing is looking at the here and now, and you're not, back, not backing up and considering things in light of eternity, it is very easy to have nothing but a pessimistic view of life. Woe is me, for I am undone. Very easy to get cynical about life because we live in a sin-cursed world. And if you're looking for um, the light at the end of the tunnel to be in the here and now, it most often will not. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And that's eternity for the believer. For the believer. But I love, I, I just, I'm not going to read this again, but what, jo, that's kind of like what Job was communicating. But I submit to you that, you know, the Bible says, we're going to look at this next week probably too. The Bible says, fear hath torment. And fear brings a snare. All kinds of things we're going to be looking at about fear because, Fear can cripple us. Now, I've shared this, and I forget. I tried to go back in my notes. I always try, when I use my illustrations, I try to only use them once every 10 years. You know, but I know that I used this one a little while ago, but I don't remember the context. So, if, like, I just said this last week, just, just like, um, appease me. Act like the first time you ever heard this. But I remember uh, I was working at a security guard company before, as I was training in ministry, and got very close to one of our bosses who was a precious man. Had the chance to witness to him. And one of his sons was getting married. And so we went to, um, to the wedding. My wife and I did. And, um, you know, his son was a partier. And, and all his friends, all the groomsmen, they were partiers. And this was not a Bible-believing church. You know, it was a liberal, a liberal denomination and... So the wedding is going on, and we're sitting in the front, my wife and I. And all of a sudden, I notice one of the groomsmen, you know, the ushers, the, the guys that are part of the wedding party. I started noticing he was staggering a little. And then he'd, and, and he'd fight to stand up straight. And you know how, you know how motion attracts your eye? And so, you know, I'm sitting there trying to pay attention to the service that's going on, but I keep seeing this tottering guy over here. And so all of a sudden, that captured my attention, and I'm like... That guy's going to pass out. He's going to pass out. And sure enough, after several minutes as the wedding's going on, he all of a sudden stumbled back, and there was a railing, and he fell backwards and did a flip and landed on the floor. <laughs> this happens at weddings sometimes. Sometimes because the wedding party is drunk or, or high. Sometimes it's because there's nerves. But this is not out of... Things can go wrong. You know, it's okay. But what happened after that is what is memorable. And you could see, you could feel the tension building up. 
After the guy passed out, women screamed. And then the mom, was it of the bride? The mom of the bride stood up, turned around and faced the congregation and and just in despair screamed, I knew this would happen. I knew it. It's ruined. And then that just let the floodgates go and pandemonium. And here's the minister. He's a priest up there. And he's just, he was looking like a deer in the headlights. Like he had no idea what to do. And I'm like, I'm t- I, tell, I told my wife, I'm like, I need to go up there and take charge. Somebody needs to stand up and say, it's okay, folks. But he was just like, he wasn't providing the leadership that he should have. And everything went wrong. And I, you know, I feel so, and by the way, that marriage did not last, unfortunately. And that wasn't all because of what happened on that day, I'm sure. But I could just, I, I, my heart broke for this dear lady, the, the mom. Because to quote Job, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. And that which I was afraid of has come unto me. And it was realized in her life. And now here's the thing. Many moms have, you know, married off their children, their, their daughters and, and their sons. So many a mom has experienced weddings. And with weddings, there tends to be, to some degree or another, a certain amount of stress. And this, but, but my heart broke for this lady because it was like, it's almost like as the wedding was coming, she's like, in her mind, something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong. And sometimes people live their life like that. You know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, something's going to go wrong, something's going to go wrong. And that, when the Bible says fear hath torment, that's what it's talking about. There are some things we can fall back on. Again, next week we're going to pick up a little bit more with, with some of the negative impact of fear that I want you to be aware of because they're all things that we face. Then when we're done, it might be a whole another message the following week about the, so many precious promises and how do we deal with this. You know, here's the here's what did God say about Job again? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed or hated evil. Again, this is not saying he was perfect, but he walked with God. He's a man that was upright, feared God, and he said, "The thing which I fear greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me." Every one of us have hidden fears, things that are suppressed, things that motivate us. I might share with you next week, I have a whole bunch of things, so many things that, that I have done just as a dad because I wanted to protect my kids because that's, that's our heartbeat. Uh, and, and some of those things, um, sometimes we are motivated by fear that causes us not to do things that are necessarily sound. And so fear, fear's impact. First, it's anxiety. In the, you know, fear hath torment. The word, in fact, we're going to look at um, the word worry. As I trace that, the word worry in the English comes from the same root as the word weary. In fact, we're, next week we'll probably look at a verse, a couple verses, be not weary in well-doing in fact, the verses in the scriptures in the New Testament that use the word weary, don't, don't be weary, don't faint, 
Uh, three of them have to do with all negative situations. Things that could cause us to worry. Things that could... And by the way, the word worry is so fascinating. You know, when it first came out, originally, uh, worry literally meant to strangle something. To strangle something. And, uh, and worry does that to us. It can strangle us. It can overwhelm us when we... These fears that... It, it, nobody lives without fear, folks. Sometimes fear is a good thing. I got saved when I realized there was a hell that I deserved. And I got saved at it because I didn't want to go to hell. And I realized I deserve it. That's okay. I put my seatbelt buckle, or I buckle my seatbelt when I get in the car. Why? You afraid? Well, it is the law now. But I do it because, you know, there is, a, if I get in an accident, you ever see all the studies, what happens when people aren't wearing a seatbelt? In fact, when my best friend and I in high school, senior week, was in a car accident, our car rolled, and we had our seatbelts on. And we had, we had, a couple months before that, we'd watch one of those. Remember in high school when there would be a projector in the room when you came in? And it's like, yes, we're going to watch a movie. And there was a, a safety one. And, and we remember both, because we joke about this, up until the day of the accident. The, the safety video talked about how stupid it is to think that your arms can save you during a car accident. And they showed all the tests, you know, the crashes and all. And the, in the video it said, your arms are like wet noodles. In a car accident. So Bill and I, my friend, we'd always say, you know, it's okay. I got my wet noodles here. You know, that when you get in a car accident. So you buckle up. I buckled up. Why? Because of fear. And, and praise the Lord. Um, we survived. A couple days later, I was out of the hospital. We went back uh, to the boardwalk. And a bunch of friends from high school came up to us and said, we heard you died. Well, we would have probably if we just used our wet noodles. But it was fear. Fear can be a good thing. If you're not saved, you need to fear God's judgment. That's how people get saved. They flee from the wrath of God to come. And that's a good thing. But, as we'll continue next week, sometimes fear can just cripple us. And, and anxiety can overwhelm us to the place where it torments us. You've got to come back next week. We'll continue with this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Job. Thank you for the fact that he was frail, that he was a human being, and that he had fears. And every one of us have fears. Some of them may be hidden fears. But Lord, I pray that you would cause us, first of all, to realize the negative impact of fear in our life. Help us to put things in perspective, especially when it comes to things that are out of our control. And there are so many things that are out of our control. Father, help us to act wisely. Help us to trust You. Help us to learn and draw, draw closer to You, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. All right, let's take your hymn book.